For the better part of the last 10 years or so, I have held myself to a strict 500 calorie a day diet. I say strict, but I'm not draconian about it. So when there's a special occasion, like it's my birthday, like yes, I will eat whatever I want. Or if it's you know, my wife's birthday, kid's birthday, a birthday of a loved one, or holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, obviously, I'm just gonna partake in the joy of the holiday and eat what I feel like. And of course, there happen to be a, a lot of national holidays. So if it's National French Toast Day, yeah, I'm gonna eat some French toast. If it's National Grilled Cheese Day, yeah, I'm gonna celebrate by partaking and eating whatever I want. And lucky for us here, as you're watching this on August 8th, today is National Frozen Custard Day. It's also International Beer Day, which makes me ask the question, is this the day that people from every nation drink a beer? Or is this a day for Americans to only drink imported beers and not domestic beers? I'm not really sure, but either way, we are going to be taking a sip from God's Word as we dive into 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. It says this, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So as we've been looking in depth about this scripture, today we're really going to focus on the part about holding promise for the present life. And there's really two parts to that, the present life that we're in and the promise that we're holding on to. So to better take a look at these, we're going to look for the rest of this time in Philippians 3, verses 9 through 13. So if you want to find that on your app or in your Bible, that's where we're going to be for today's sermon. Philippians 3, starting, chapter, uh, starting in verse 9. I want to be joined to him. Being right with God does not come from my obeying the law. It comes because I believe in Christ. It comes from God because of faith. I want to know Christ better. Yes, I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to join him in his sufferings. I want to become like him by sharing in his death. Then, by God's grace, I will rise from the dead. I have not yet received all these things. I have not yet reached my goal. Christ Jesus took hold of me so that I could reach that goal. So I keep pushing myself forward to reach it. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I have taken hold of it yet, but here is the one thing I do. I forget what is behind me. I push hard toward what is ahead of me. I push myself forward toward the goal to win the prize. God has appointed me to win it. The heavenly prize is Christ Jesus himself. So if we start in verse 9 there, and we see that being right with God does not come from my obeying the law. It comes because I believe in Christ. Now, we love rules. Human beings love rules. We love setting rules. We love making rules. We love kind of bending the rules. 
I love making rules about my diet and then, which all that was a joke by the way, but I love making rules about a diet and then making up a bunch of rules so that I don't even have to listen to the rules of the diet, but technically I never break the rules of the diet. And we can do all of these things because we, we love it. There's even, I have a book, it wouldn't be a Brendan sermon without a baseball analogy. And I have a book um, just called The Unwritten Rules of Baseball. And you would be shocked at just how many unwritten rules there are. And before you even start thinking, well, that's kind of weird that baseball has this. That's, that's nothing unique to baseball. Unwritten rules are all around us. I mean, just think about even things like dress codes. I know somebody who, or unspoken dress codes. I know somebody who recently moved, and after they moved, they are trying to find a, a new church. And they went to this one church, and they realized, oh, Every, all the ladies here are wearing dresses, and all the men are wearing suits and ties. And they kind of said something, you know, to kind of bring attention, like, oh, I'm sorry that I'm not wearing something like that. And everybody around them were like, oh, no, it's fine. Don't feel, you, you can wear whatever you want. But can you, if you're in that situation and everybody's wearing the same thing, and they say, oh, don't worry about it, your brain can't help but worry about it. We have these unwritten rules about what you're wearing, and, and tattoos, and, and all sorts of things. And nowhere is this clearer to me than in the game Taboo, which looks like this. You're probably familiar with this game, but if you're not, the basic idea is you're trying to get your team to guess a word, but there's certain words that you can't say. And every, I can, my, it is my belief that nobody, myself included, actually knows the rules to this game. Because everywhere you go, every time you play it, every house has their own house rules. Oh, if you pass a, on a card, you lose a point. Oh, you can have one free pass, but if you're a kid or you're a teenager, you get as many free passes as you want. Oh, if you say one of the words you're not supposed to say, you lose a point. Oh, if you, no, not our house, if you say one of the things you're not supposed to say, the other team gets a point. And it goes on and on and on. And I've never met anybody who actually agrees on what the actual rules of the game are. We have unwritten rules and we love following them. But aren't we so lucky that when we look at this passage about how being right with God doesn't come from obeying the law, it comes because we believe in Christ. And knowing Jesus is so much better than trying to earn our salvation. That is never what this has ever been about. You see, if we are just training for building good habits in our life, well, there really isn't any life in that. Imagine, if you will, a couple. And one person in the couple likes flowers. And so that person never gets flowers. And so they say to the other person in the couple, I, if you bring me flowers, I will make you dinner. And the other person thinks, hmm, I do like getting dinner. I will give this person flowers in exchange for the dinner. Now, would you say that this is a loving relationship? You probably wouldn't. You'd probably think that this is a strange transaction that's happening. But from a distance, if you couldn't see the hearts of those people, you might think it's a very loving relationship. You might look and say, oh my gosh, every week, so-and-so brings that person flowers and they make them dinner every night and oh my gosh i wish i was in a relationship like that they just seem so loving but that's not the truth the truth is there's no life in this just transaction of you bring me this and i will do this for you 
That is not what we're going to be talking about today. There are 613 rules or laws in the Old Testament, and you can train yourself to do all of those, but that's not what this is about. Jesus changes us on the inside, this relationship that we have. Our faith in Christ is grounded in our relationship with him, not trying to appease him by uh, setting a bunch of rules and then following them. Jesus says this himself. In chapter 15 of Matthew, he's talking to some Pharisees. And if you don't know what that is, Pharisees are like the cream of the crop, the best of the best when it comes to following rules. In fact, they look at those 613 Old Testament laws and they say, that's not even enough. You know, because, well, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And if if tilling the earth or moving earth is uh, considered work, well, what do we do that, that moves earth? Well, if I spit on the ground, you know, that could move a little dust. So, okay, here's a new rule. I'm going to make a new rule. No spitting. You're not allowed to spit on the Sabbath because if you do that, it can move some earth and that can be considered work and we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. <sighs> Doesn't that sound exhausting to you? But worry not because I am starting right now a year-long campaign for next year's budget to get spittoons all throughout the sanctuary so that we can spit in here as much as we want on the, on the Sabbath without sinning. Isn't that good news? So this is what Jesus says to those Pharisees in Matthew 15, verse 7, says this, You hypocrites! Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, was right when he prophesied about you, saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Now this is a really sick burn that Jesus gives the Pharisees here because these Pharisees, they know the Old Testament so well. They know this scripture from Isaiah. And the fact that Jesus just said that this part is about them, like that hurts. That this prophecy was about them honoring them with their lips, but their hearts being far from them because they're just merely these human rules. It's terrible. Previous to this, Jesus says that the rules really aren't even the thing that matters in the first place. Because in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 verses 21 and 22, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. As a side note, that word Raka is just an Aramaic word of contempt, really. But God's righteousness is not something that we can live up to because that's what makes God, God, and what makes us not God. Continuing on in verse 12, Paul writes, I have not yet received all these things. I have not yet reached my goal. Christ Jesus took hold of me so that I could reach that goal. So I keep pushing myself forward to reach it. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I have taken hold of it yet. So Paul is reaching for this goal, but he hasn't made it yet. You see, what we're really talking about is change. We're talking about 
transformation. And all of that implies that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. And we don't have to be perfect. It's not about us achieving perfection. It's about Jesus achieving perfection and us trying to become more and more like Jesus. And I just want to say this to you right now. It's okay to not be okay. And I'll say this. I've spent a lot of time in, you know, my my whole life, I've been in uh, church and I have seen this idea of perfectionism just running rampant throughout, you know, the modern church. This idea of, oh, I really, I really want to get prayed. I have so many things that I want to get prayed for about, but like, I don't want anybody to see that I'm getting prayer because then they'll know something's wrong with my life. Or people who, you know, if you've ever been that person at a small group or a Bible study and someone says like, hey, how can we be praying for one another? And you're thinking about this terrible thing that you're going through, but you don't want to, you don't want to mention that you have an addiction. You don't want to mention that you're depressed. You don't want to mention all these things because then people won't know, you know, the terrible secret that you're not actually perfect. So instead you say something like, Oh, well, my nephew's having some health issues, and you end up you know, praying for, for him instead. And the thing is, is that we as a people are not a people who've arrived yet. We are pilgrims on the way. We are transitioning from one thing to another. And as we do so, we recognize that we're trying to become more and more like Jesus, and that means that we're not there yet. So it is okay to not be okay. We are works in progress. So extend grace to yourself and extend that same grace to others because that person sitting next to you is also not perfect. Continuing on in verse 13, Paul writes this, but here is the one thing I do. I forget what is behind me. I push hard toward what is ahead of me. Now this can be really difficult because how many of us are haunted by something in our past? All of us. I don't know anybody who doesn't have something from their past that continues to to haunt them, whether it's a, a memory of personal failures, whether it's the wrongdoing of others, how some people have hurt you. We walk around with, with these burdens and I want you to know that when Paul writes this, he's not just being glib, like, oh, forget all that. Let's just push on. Like me, I'm Paul. I wrote most of the New Testament. I'm awesome. No, Paul is very candid in his letters about how, you know, he was one of those Pharisees that, that Jesus was, was just given a tongue lashing to. Paul was one of them. Paul persecuted Christians. Paul says that he was a violent man. And so this is when Paul says, I forget what was behind me. It's not some easy task where like, oh, Paul would never understand what it is that you're going through because Paul was so perfect. It's nothing like that. In fact, here's somebody who has been through a lot of the same stuff. Maybe stuff that's harder than you. Maybe you do have stuff that's harder than him. But I want you to know that, you know, don't just write this off as something, this flippant thing that Paul said. As uh, we think about these biblical analogies of these races, you know, running the race and achieving the goal and reaching towards the goal. Some of those memories from our past can be like weights. Like imagine running a race with 
you know, if you, when you watch the Olympics now, like nobody's out there with 10 or 20 pound weights on their arms and legs because that doesn't help them to, 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 to compete. So finally, Paul writes this in verse 14. I push myself forward toward the goal to win the prize. God has appointed me to win it. The heavenly prize is Christ Jesus himself. So everybody out there right now that's having all these anxious thoughts, you can breathe a sigh of relief. We can look at life differently because of Jesus. Because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. That's the promise that we're talking about. That he has been resurrected from the dead and that we can now be resurrected too. That we have eternal life with Christ. This is the promise that we hold on to for now. Knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There is life beyond this life. The hard times, the troubles that you're going through are very real and very hard. But they are temporary. They are passing. They will not always be there. But Christ's love for you always will be. That's what it means to live now in this present day. But hold on to these promises. Promises that Jesus loves us. That he died for us. And we can live with him forever. We are pressing into that goal. That goal is Christ. And we are longing to be more like Christ. And there's a fancy-pants theological term for all of this, and it's just called sanctification. So if anybody asks you, oh, what did you talk about at church this weekend? You know, you can kind of tell them, oh, we talked about sanctification. But all that really means is that we, you, me, we are all trying to be more and more like Jesus. So I have three questions for you. Question number one, what can you do to remind yourself that it's okay to not be okay? Question two, what is something from your past that you still need to let go of? Question number three, how does it comfort you knowing that Jesus is the prize and you 